0: let back again in Woodisburn and see all your lovely faces and to join together in worship and also around the precious Word of God. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 11. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 11. And they're going to read from verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, Say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me thee loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Dark, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then be evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father? give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him it was said of the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon that he was described as the prince of preachers and what a joy it must have been for those 3,000 and 4,000 people together every Lord's Day in the great tabernacle in London, and here the great preacher Charles Hatton Spurgeon, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. He never described himself as such, he was too humble for that, but that was how he was described, as the Prince of Preachers. But it was Dr. Campbell Morgan who was described as the Prince of Expositors. And for many years he ministered in Westminster Chapel in the great great city of London and then was succeeded by the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Kemba Morgan was described as the Prince of Expositors. And what a preacher he must have been as he expounded God's Word in Westminster Chapel to about 2,000 people. There's a very interesting incident in the life of Dr. Martin R. Jones that I want to mention this morning, Dr. Kemba Morgan, I should say, and that was for two years he read nothing else but Matthew, Mark. Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, for two years he read nothing else but those four gospel records. And he says that after the two years he found his life greatly changed and transformed. And also his ministry. And the congregation saw a tremendous change in the life of Dr. Morgan as a result of reading those four gospel records. Now, if you're familiar with those four records, you know that they center around one particular person whether Matthew, Mark, Luke or John they all converge, they all centre on one glorious and wonderful and majestic person and that is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ have you ever wondered have you ever thought just how wonderful the Lord Jesus is Have you ever thought of just how wonderful he is? How marvellous he is? Let me try and show you. Never man was born like this man. He was virgin born. Born of the Virgin Mary. Joseph was not his father. He was virgin born. Nine years ago, that particular doctrine was criticised. Come on, they say, we know how babies are produced. You're not going to tell us that Jesus was virgin born. Of course not. But uh, they have had to eat their words. Because here's what a professor of gynaecology From London University, notice a professor of gynecology from London University once said that there has been at least five or six natural virgin births. Leaving aside the supernatural aspect, the professor said there has been on record between five and six natural virgin births. But on every occasion they produced a baby girl. Never a baby boy. It's impossible to have a baby boy in those circumstances. So leave aside the supernatural aspect. There's words from the professor of gynecology. There has been at least four or five natural virgin births. But our Lord Jesus was born of Mary. She didn't produce a girl. She produced the Lord Jesus. Never man was born like this man. We believe 100% in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. The Bible teaches it. We believe it. Never man lived like this man. Here was someone who lived a sinless, spotless, and stainless life. Never had to apologize to anyone. Never made a mistake. He was sinless in word, in thought, and deed. To the proud Pharisees and scribes, he would say, Which of you convinceth me of sin? He never received an answer. Not one of them could convince him of sin. Sinless, spotless, stainless. Never a man lived like this man. Never a man speak like this man. Now, if you lived in those days, you went to the synagogue, what would happen? stand the rabbi, he would speak and he would say, When I, Rabbi so and so says this, Rabbi so and so says that, they would refer to the great rabbinical teachers for their authority. But when Jesus came and when he preached and when he taught, he said, But I say unto you. He didn't refer to the great rabbinical teachers. He spoke with authority. He spoke with power. And you remember when they sent officers from the Sanhedrin Council to arrest him? They came back empty-handed. They were asked, why have you not brought him? Here's what they said. Never man speak like this man. Never man was born like this man. Never man lived like this man. Never man spake like this man. He spoke with authority. He spoke with power. Because he said himself, I am the way, the truth, and uh, the life. But then, never man died like this man. I'll just say, Stanley, wait a minute. Don't you know that... uh, There were crucifixions before Jesus was crucified? Of course there was. And don't you know there were crucifixions after Jesus was crucified? Of course there was. So then, why do you say that never man died like this man? For this reason, dear friends, our Lord's death was of a substitutionary nature. He was dying as a substitute for others. And those of us who are saved by God's grace, we can rejoice the day that he took our place and bore our punishment on that cross on Calvary's hill. That's why we say, never man died like this man. He died a substitutionary death. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. As we sang that lovely hymn, My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Never man died like this man. But then, never man was resurrected like this man. Oh, you say, Stanley, wait a minute. There were resurrections before Jesus was resurrected. Of course there was. And there were resurrections after his resurrection. Of course there was. But those people who were resurrected before Jesus' resurrection and those after his resurrection, here was the point. They all died again. They died a second time. But when our wonderful and glorious Lord Jesus rose on that first day of the week nearly 2,000 years ago, he is never, 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 never going to die again. He lives in the power of an endless life. Here's what he said to John and the Aelipatmos. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And have the keys of death And of Hades. Never man was resurrected like this man. Do you see just how wonderful he is, dear friends? Never man born like this man. Never man lived like this man. Never man spake like this man. Never man died like this man. Never man was resurrected like this man. What a wonderful, wonderful, glorious Savior. Our Lord Jesus is. Do I hear a hallelujah? Do I hear a praise the Lord? Well let me just mention also, never a man prayed like this man. And that is what I want to speak about for a little time this morning. Never a man prayed like this man. You see, when we are here upon earth, there was deity joined with humanity. He was fully God, but at the same time, he was fully man. And it is Dr. Luke that gives us most of the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. Read the 24 chapters of Luke's Gospel, and you will find that there are at least 11 references with regard to the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. 11 references. Now, that's your homework, dear friends, after you go home today. After you have had your lovely three-course meal, you don't have 40 rings, oh no, You don't go to bed for a sleep. You don't turn the television on. No, no. You take the Gospel of Luke, only 24 chapters. And you go through the 24 chapters. And you discover the 11 references to the Lord's prayer life. Never man prayed like this man. Now, let me mention very briefly this morning five things about our Lord's prayer life. Some preachers have only three points but I'm feeling generous this morning. I'm going to give you five. Five wonderful aspects, characteristics of our Lord's prayer life. Here's the first one. Jesus not only believed in prayer But he prayed. Now if I would ask you, hands up all those of you who believe in prayer. No doubt there's one hand gone up already. No doubt all your hands will go up if you're Christians. Of course you believe in prayer. Let me ask you a supplementary question. Do you pray? Oh yes, you believe in prayer, but do you pray? I'm sad to say, dear friends, there is an inconsistency between what we believe sometimes and what we do. An inconsistency. We believe mentally in prayer, we believe it's biblical, but somehow we fail. we don't pray as we should but in our Lord Jesus there was a glorious consistency he not only believed in prayer he prayed are you consistent you believe in prayer, wonderful but tell me do you pray, do I pray tell me Did you pray before coming to the service this morning? Did you pray before coming to the service to ask God's blessing upon the meeting? Oh, you say, Stanley, I've been so busy. Rushing here, rushing there, doing this, doing that. Uh, I didn't have the time. Oh? Isn't it strange sometimes we've got time to listen and look at the television for hours and ends? time for shopping, time for this time for that, but somehow no time for prayer oh the glorious consistency between what our Lord believed what he taught and what he practiced he set an example here's the second thing Jesus often prayed alone read the gospel you'll find, time and time again, Jesus withdrew from the multitudes with all their needs, with all their demands, and away from his disciples with all their needs, and away from his family, and he would spend time alone with his heavenly Father. Now, it's good to get together as a church to have a prayer meeting, It's good to to, to pray with others, perhaps in the home. But for the Christian, there is a tremendous need for the Christian to get alone by himself in the presence of God and to pray with no one else there. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus said. When you pray... Enter into your closet, and when you have closed the door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and your Father which saith in secret shall reward you openly. You see, you're shut in by yourself in the presence of God. You're praying alone. Do you pray alone? Do you take time to get away from the world and your family and your friends and just be alone with him? Jesus prayed alone many times. Let me say this very graciously. In a prayer meeting, you can seek to impress others By your prayers. I'm not saying you always do that. But there's that possibility. You can put on the mask. And you can pray to impress others in the prayer meeting. So that they say, do you hear her pray? Do you hear him pray? My great prayers. The word, friends, you're showing off. You're trying to give the impression that you are something very spiritual in your prayer life. Ah, but when you get alone with God, you can't put the mask on. You've got to be yourself. No words, no graces. You're just alone. No one else to impress. You're by yourself. And oh, the many happy times I have spent in my heavenly Father's presence as I've spent time alone with him. I have wept in his presence. I have laughed in his presence. You see, I can be myself. There's no one else to impress. I can be myself. And I can't bluff him. I can bluff you. And you can bluff me. But you can't bluff him. When I go into his presence, I say, Lord, here I am. You see me just as I am. With all my faults, failures, disappointments, frustrations. And dear friends, if I'm sad, I don't say I'm glad. If I'm down, I don't say I'm up. In other words, I'm honest. And dear friend, you've got to be honest in the presence of God. Because you can't deceive him. He knows if you're sad. He knows if you're heartbroken. He knows if you're disappointed. He knows if you've grieved. And you just can be yourself in his wonderful presence. And here's what the psalmist says. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. Dear Christian, get alone with God. Spend time alone with him. Get away from the world. Get away from your friends. And spend time in the presence of God. Isn't that how you get to know each other? You spend time in their presence. You meet them, you talk with them. That's how you get to know them. And how are we going to get to know the Lord if we don't spend time in His presence? It's good to come and sing these wonderful hymns of praise. But oh, the need just to prophesy and to be alone with Him. Jesus believed in prayer. He prayed. Jesus often prayed alone. But notice this Jesus prayed before during and after some of his great crises in his life he prayed before he called the 12 apostles listen to this he went out into a mountain to pray and listen to this and continued all night in prayer to God all night in prayer before he called the twelve apostles. Now, I can remember, dear friends, going back. That's one of the things of getting old. You can go back a good number of years. And some of you can go back, even farther than I can go back. Because you're pushing on. You're getting old. And you look back over the years, and I can remember in churches, that they used to have all night prayer meetings. They got there about half past ten and they continued about six o'clock the next morning, all night in prayer. I don't seem to hear that today in churches. Ah, friends, listen to this. One of the most neglected church services today is the prayer meeting. And it's not sad? Supposed to be the powerhouse. The powerhouse. And sometimes very few attend. But many of God's people in times past. They would spend all night. All night in prayer to God. Jesus spent all night in prayer. Before he called the twelve apostles. And before you have any elections in this meeting for leaders. Why not spend all night in prayer before you do so? It might make a change. And then of course, he prayed during some of the great crises. For example, Dr. Luke tells us, and Matthew doesn't mention this, Mark doesn't mention it, John doesn't mention but Luke says that Jesus was actually praying when he was being baptised. Did you ever notice that? He was actually praying as he'd been baptized. And then, what about that great crisis in the Garden of Gethsemane? Before he goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, prostrated, in agony, praying. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then, of course, After he died on the cross, after he shouted that great cry, it is finished. How did he end his life? He says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he dismissed his spirit. Isn't that lovely? You see, let's get one thing straight. All the craftiness and ingenuity of the old pharmacies and the Sanhedrin Council, they were powerless until the Lord said, the hour has come. And all the might of Rome, they were powerless until the Lord said, the hour has come. In other words, our Lord Jesus was in control to the very last second. Now here's what he said. No man taketh my life from me. I have authority to let down. And I have authority to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. He was in charge of the very last seconds. And after he had finished the great work of redemption. Your redemption, my redemption. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he dismissed his spirit. He prayed before, during, after the great crisis. I sometimes think—I say this very graciously—I sometimes think that sometimes we sing a lot of lies in church. Are you guilty of singing lies in church? Look, you say Stanley, what do you mean? Well. How many times in this church have you sang Joseph Scriven's great hymn What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer Oh what peace we often forfeit Oh what needless pain we bear All because we do not carry everything To God in prayer Now you sing that but let me ask you a question. Do you bring everything to God in prayer? Do I bring everything to God in prayer? And we have to confess, of course, sometimes we don't. And yet you're singing it. And you're singing a lie, Because you're singing, you bring everything to God in prayer, which you don't. You see, dear friends, there's nothing too big for him. And there's nothing too small. You can bring everything to the Lord in prayer. And what a privilege it is. Because here's what Peter says. Casting all your care for heaven. For he careth for you. Sometimes I test congregations if I'm preaching on that verse in 1 Peter, and I said well, I, here's a wee test in logic. Are you listening? Wee test in logic. If you give the Lord all your cares, how many have you got left? It's a simple question in logic. If you give the Lord all your cares, well, how many have you got left? And you want to see the expressions on people's faces would well, I put that to them? Because there's some Christians that they like to keep wee problems in store. And if you ask them how they're keeping they tell you. And it can take a long, long time. But Peter, now it's not my words. Don't blame me for it. It's, it's, it's what the Bible says. Casting all your care upon. Dear friend, if you cast all your cares upon him, that means you've got no cares left. Now, it's not what the Bible teaches. I'm not making up. That's what the Bible teaches. I tell you what. Why not put it to the test? Don't take my word for it. Don't take Peter's word for it. Put it to the test. From this day forwards, whatever your care, your problem, take it to Him. And you'll discover He's true to His word. What He says, that He will do. Let me come fourthly and very quickly. Jesus was earnest and sincere in His prayers. You get that in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what Dr. Luke says. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. because the sweat as it were great drops of blood falling to the earth. Here's the Son of God in agony. And he's praying earnestly. And here's what James says. The the fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman availeth much. In the words, dear friends, there must be an earnestness, an intensity of desire in our hearts as we pray. That's the kind of prayers. That bring blessing in our lives and to the church. If we're desperate and say like Jacob, I will not let you go till you have blessed me. That's the kind of prayers that God loves to hear and the prayers that God will answer. He was earnest in his prayers. What a saint that must have been to see the Son of God. On his knees, in earnest prayer, before going to the cross, and then lastly, and very quickly, Jesus submitted to his Father's will. The Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed those prayers, and he says, "Not my will, but thine, be done." And in all our prayers, either collectively or individually, we must submit to the sovereignty of God's will. Jesus did. Because God knows the end from the beginning. And God knows what is good for each one of us. And I believe that when we all get to heaven, not only shall we thank God for the prayers that he has answered, but we shall thank God for the prayers that He didn't answer. We thought to be good enough, but no, God saw the end from the beginning. And we must submit Himself, we must submit ourselves to the Father's will, because He knows best. Never man prayed like this man. What a saviour. What a Lord. And how do you feel, how do you think Peter felt? Listen to this. How do you how, how do you how, how did Peter feel when the Lord said to him, Do you remember? He says, Simon, Simon, Satan have desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when you are turned round to strengthen thy brethren to think that the Lord was praying for him individually I have prayed for thee and while his courage failed his faith didn't fail because the Lord prayed specifically that your faith would not fail and I'll tell you even something even wonderful he's praying for all of us he's praying for all of us because in John's Gospel chapter 17 you have that great prayer he prays for himself he prays for his disciples and then he prays for all those that shall hear through their words that includes us And what's his prayer for you and for me? He says, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And he's not going to rest content. Unto each one of us saved by God's grace. We're going to be where he is. And we're going to see him. In all his majesty. All his glory. And all his splendor. Isn't that wonderful? That prayer will be answered. And by God's grace. We will be there. Because there's no power on earth. And there's no power in hell can defeat the purposes of God. Not only that, not only are we going to be there, and not only are we going to see him, but we are going to be replicas of him. Tell me, dear Christian, why has God saved you? Come on, why has God saved you? Why are you a Christian today? say Stanley but is to be saved from a lost eternity to be saved from hell and from judgment, that's wonderful but that's negative do you know why God has saved you do you know why God has ransomed you and brought you to himself, here it is that you are to be conformed to the image of his son We are going to be replicas of him. I have to confess. You have to confess. In many ways we are so unlike the Savior. We confess that freely. But one day. Glorious day. All of us saved by God's grace. We are going to be conformed to his likeness. His image. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 3. And when he wrote that, he's an old man in his 90s. And here's what he says Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him. As he is. What a hope. What a prospect. That one day. This poor sinner. started before you. Saved by his wonderful grace. I'm going to be a replica. Of the Lord Jesus. Conformed to, to his image. And I shall look at you. For Moody's Church in that day. Oh, I say, ah, that's those people that I used to preach to in Moody's Church. Look at them. They're so different. They're so wonderful. They're so glorious. Because they're all conformed to, to the image of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, to me this is wonderful. Have you ever noticed how the biblical writers they can take you up to the heights and then it can bring you right down to the depths now what's the next verse after that that I've just quoted do you know here's what it says and every man that hath this hope in him purify himself even as he is pure in other words put him be in the clouds but get your feet in the ground because you're still here on earth and this hope, it should purify you it should make you live right and proper sanctified lives in anticipation of that glorious day take another example 1 Corinthians 15 what a chapter that is he deals with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and then he deals with the resurrection of those of us who have died before the Lord comes and he, a tremendous chapter we are—it's a wonderful, tremendous chapter. O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy triumph? Thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, how does chapter sixteen commence? Thy concern in the collection. Thy concern in the offering. You see, up in the clouds, and then the next chapter, down to earth, now concerning the collection. In other words, dear friends, it's not God's intention that your mind should just be filled with doctrine and teaching and eschatology. No. That doctrine you have received, that teaching you received, has got to be translated into everyday Christian living. Do you remember the story of the young men that were discussing the different Bible translations? One young man said when well, I I love the the revised version. I love the amplified version. Another said, I love this version, that version. But one young man kept very quiet. And they said, Come on, we have told you our the version that we like. What version do you like? And then the young man said, What I I like my mother's translation. Oh they say, your mother's translation. is she a Hebrew scholar? Is she a Greek scholar? Your mother's translation? Ah, oh, he says, I like my mother's translation because she translates it into everyday practical Christian living. Isn't that lovely? So you've heard the teaching this morning from this poor creature standing in front of you. Now then you have to put it into practice because Peter says he Jesus hath left us an example that we should follow his steps. The path the master trod shall not the servant tread as toe. Never a man was born like this man. Never a man lived like this man. Never a man died like this man. Never a man was resurrected like this man. Never a man prayed like this man. And I've been praying for this meeting. And I've been asked my Heavenly Father that those people that I'm going to preach to tomorrow, this yesterday, Grant that they shall leave the meeting with the same request of that unknown disciple. When they when he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Let us leave the meeting this morning with that request. Lord, teach me. Teach me to pray. It didn't say, Lord, teach us to study or teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to pray. And what better person could you go to than the Lord himself? God bless you.